Amen. Thank you, Brother Vaughn. Let's stand and take our Bibles, please. Joshua chapter 20. Joshua chapter 20. While you are turning there, uh, put your finger in the New Testament book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to be ending up there this morning. Joshua chapter 20. Members, look around you. If a neighbor next to you doesn't have a Bible or a King James Version translation, would you be kind enough to share your Bible with them? We're thankful for our our first-hour adult growth groups in English and want to encourage you, if you are uh, coming to church and not enrolled in one of the adult growth groups, we had a great, great morning. This is where I sat in on, on our class, the Heirs Together class, and Brother Aaron brought an excellent message. It was very touching this morning about one of the keys to success, and we want to encourage you to enroll in one of our classes. One of the growth groups helps you make some friendships and to be strengthened in your faith. We encourage you about that. And uh, we go live next Sunday morning with a new adult growth group. We're starting up officially with our Spanish-speaking uh, adult growth group. We're looking forward to that in room 200. So please help us attend one of these classes. I'll be blessed to you. Joshua chapter 20. I'm going to read all nine verses here. And the Lord also spake unto Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, well, Point out for you cities of refuge. Underline that phrase, cities of refuge. Where have I spoken to you by the hand of Moses? That the slayer that killeth any person unawares and unwittingly may flee thither. And they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. And when he that doth flee into one of those cities shall stand at the entering of the gate of the city and shall declare his cause in the, heirs, uh, in the ears of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city unto them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. And if the avenger of blood pursue after him, then they shall not deliver the slayer up into his hand, because he smote his neighbor unwittingly and hated him not before time. And he shall dwell in that city until he stand before the congregation for judgment, and until the death of the high priest that shall be in those days. Then shall the slayer return and come unto his own city and unto his own house and to the city from whence he fled. And they appointed Kedesh in Galilee, Mount Naphtali, and Shechem in Mount Ephraim, and Kirjath Jarba, which is Hebron, in the mountain of Judah. And on the other side of Jordan, by Jericho eastward, they assigned Bezer in the wilderness upon the plain out of the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth and Gilead out of the tribe of Gad, and Golan and Bashan out of the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel and for all the stranger that sojourneth among them, that whosoever killeth any person unawares might flee thither and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. This past week I flew out early on Monday morning and went to Cincinnati, Ohio to preach a missions conference for First Baptist Church of Milford. First Baptist Church in Milford is very well known. It's a church that's 60 years old and established a Bearing Precious Seed ministry where they've got the Word of God that they publish in 200 languages. I got there on Monday and brought our missionary to Hangzhou, Brother Ted Mung, with me. We got in, we arrived about 4.30 that afternoon, 5 o'clock the afternoon, getting ready, just had to get right into the service. And it's about a 20-minute drive from where the airport is, or maybe 30-minute drive from where the airport is, over to Milford, Ohio, straight shot on, I think it's Highway 275. Went on 275 North, and as we were entering, entering into the city, coming out of the airport, there is a signage, a monument that said, Welcome to our city, the city of Cincinnati. We got into Milford, and it said, Milford Township, and it said, Welcome to our city, the city of Milford. 
You know, you feel a sense that you're, you like the idea that when you're traveling, you don't know the landscape there, but just that familiarity of just seeing someone say, welcome. And we're looking at a passage of Scripture that at glance, when you look at it, seems somewhat confusing. What has this got to do with practical living? Of somebody killing somebody else and fleeing to the city. And what does the idea of a city of refuge mean? This morning, I want you to see as we un- kind of just unfold this this morning, the simple thought about cities of refuge and how they play so prominently, even in application this morning, to sing what God wants to do in your life and my life, especially today, if you do not know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. Our Father, today, thank you so much. The choir sang powerfully in the, in the Spirit about praising the Lord. Pastor A.J. led us to singing, crown him with many crowns. Lord, no one should be exalted. No one should be lifted up more in the church than you, our Savior. Lord, to you alone be the glory. And the Bible says that whatsoever, whatsoever we do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. And this morning as we assemble here, our desires when this service is done, that our, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, is lifted up, that all men will be drawn unto him. Father, we ask this morning that you'd quiet our hearts and still our souls and unclutter us from lots of thinking and worries, anxieties and fears and discomforts and anxieties and everything that, Lord, would distract us from having our minds upon you. And to do what the psalmist said in Psalms 46, verse 10, as the sons of Korah wrote and said, be still and know that I'm God. We pray this morning as we look at the scriptures that we'd find that Jesus is the bread of life who feeds every soul. And that Jesus is the living water who satisfies the thirsting soul. We pray this morning for some whose hearts are heavy and burdened down with problems and concerns. They'd find you as the God of all comfort. For those, dear God, who are feeling a sense of insecurity about their lives and where they fit and where they belong and feeling a sense of rejection, they would realize this morning that, Lord, that you say, cast all your care upon me for I careth for you. Father, this morning we pray that we would see you in a real sense. And God, I pray that the words of God would jump off the scriptures and speak to us. Sanctify thy people through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Thank you this morning for what our ears get to hear. And the Bible says, he that hath an ear, let him hear. We pray this morning that you speak to us. Help me this morning to make the scriptures, Lord, profoundly simple, understandable, receivable. And in the midst of all that, regardless of how seasoned we may be in the Word of God and regardless of our degree and pedigree and where we've been, Lord, help us to come today to Joshua chapter 20 with the spirit of meekness, of teachability, desiring that, Lord, you'd settle our hearts and speak to us today. Thank you, Lord, for the message we're going to hear. Thank you, Lord, how the Holy Spirit of God may prick our heart and convict us, Lord, of things we need to hear this day. And thank you for the comfort that will come. But we thank you especially for those today who would put their faith and trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, as Savior. Bless our service, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Over in the Swiss Alps that descend from Switzerland down to Italy, for many, many years there have been and that mountain pass, especially during wintertime, it can be very, very unpredictable weather. And up there in those mountain spaces, there are those Alps, they have mountain refuges that were created as spaces or locations that if a traveler going through was not properly prepared, they could find help in those refuges or these buildings where in case of the weather changes or snowstorm happened, they could find refuge in one of those buildings. 
A visitor in the Swiss Alps went there one day and was traveling from Switzerland to Italy. And as he did so, he noticed that the roadside at regular intervals, equally spaced apart, were these square box buildings. Each of these buildings had a signage on them that would say something like this, Refuge number one. You keep going on your journey and would say refuge number two. And you keep going on your journey and would say refuge number three. And you keep going as this man kept going along. He determined over time there were at least a minimum of 20 separate refuges. They were there possibly for the, for one purpose alone. And there were shelters on those high mountain areas so that in case a snowstorm came or a, just a, whatever inclement weather that was very dangerous, a passerby traveler could find refuge in that place. We're in the book of, we're studying the book of Joshua. Joshua 1 through 19, we see that battles have been fought. Victories have been won. The children of Israel are claiming this land of inheritance that for 40 years while they were wandering in the wilderness, God had spoken to them about. God had promised to them. Now, just what was a vision was becoming reality for their lives. And this generation is going in, is possessing the land. Joshua, beginning Joshua 14 to Joshua 19, is helping all of the tribes take their possession, their places of inheritance. There were cities that each tribe received. One tribe, the tribe of Levite, the tribe that represented the servants of the Lord. Lord, the priests of God, they weren't, were not given any land. They were assigned cities, but they were not given any land because God promised them, I will be your inheritance. I will take care of you. You don't have to worry about your needs. I will take care of all your needs. God had a strategy and a structure in mind in terms of how the, how the work of God would be done. And so God had assigned to these Levites what we call 48 Levitical cities. Of these 48 Levitical cities, you'll notice in our chapter here, in verses 7 through 9, we find six specific cities that were set apart that were called the cities of refuge. Three on the western side of Jordan, three on the eastern side of Jordan. The three on the western side include the city of Kadesh, the city of Hebron, the city of Shechem. On the eastern side would be the city, would be the city of Bezer, the city of Ramoth, and the city of Golan. And each of them were there for one specific purpose. They were seen as refuges, as a place where someone who was guilty of an unintentional, unintended act of, of uh, or which would be considered a, uh, hurting someone else, would go there for shelter there. This morning we want to focus our thought and attention in this, this uh, passage of Scripture which God has placed here for our benefit to understand what these cities of refuge are all about and what do they mean for your life and mine as, as Israel is getting settled now in this promised land. This morning I want you to notice when the significance of these cities and personally I just hope that as we pray this, as we, we preach this morning, I, I pray that you'll look at these cities and determine as a unbeliever or as a believer of how these cities of refuge have a personal application for your life. Number one, would you notice with me the intent of these cities? The intent or the intention of these cities. Notice, if you would, verses 1 through 6. They give us an understanding of the intent of these cities. Now, by way of understanding, as we start off today, we want to start by defining the word refuge. A refuge is defined as a place of safety, of shelter, a hiding place, a sanctuary. The key idea behind a refuge is, a, is the idea of safety. And we'll see some verses with that this morning. 
The word refuge is found in the Bible a minimum of 46 times. We, we sang this morning about leaning on the everlasting arms, and I quoted from Deuteronomy 33:27. Right at the time Moses was 110 years old, and his life was fading from him, and he was giving his last words of instruction to the children of Israel before the rains would be passed to Joshua, and Joshua would lead them into that promised land. And there in Deuteronomy 33:27, God told them through Moses, The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And for people who had wandered, who had fought many battles, who were concerned about what was next, they needed to hear that word of promise. They needed to hear that about the attribute of God, that the eternal God is their refuge. And may I say this morning, God is also your refuge today. The Bible says in Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of need. As we think about a refuge, we think about a God that we can run to, who is our sanctuary. A God we can go to is our hiding place. A God we can can go to who is our safety net a god we can go to is a place a refuge from the elements a god that we can hide our faith in regardless of what happens around us regardless of the storms regardless of the cyclones regardless of the tornadoes regardless of the difficulties that we face and the darkness about it thank god this morning the eternal god is our refuge we look at the intent this morning notice in verses two and three he tells us the cause for these cities which you notice verses two and three God is speaking to Joshua and he gives him a divine word. Notice these these are not his suggestion. These are the mandates of God. He said in verse 2, Speak to the children of Israel saying, Appoint out for you cities of refuge. Where have I spoken to you by the hand of Moses? Now, we don't have time to look at it, but in your studies, you might want to go back to Numbers chapter 35, because in Numbers 35, we have the directions that God gives to Moses that he was to pass to Joshua about these cities of refuge. These cities of refuge would not be established until all of the tribes had taken their possession and received their inheritance, and the Levites had gotten their 48 cities, and of those 48, six would be cities of refuge. Verse 3, that the slayer that killeth any person unawares, and unwittingly may flee thither, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. What's he talking about there? What, what's the purpose behind this? Well, God understood that as the people were settling in the land, that he wanted to prevent a, a place in society of lawlessness. And God has established his commands. He'd established structure for their government. And, of course, as we know, as things have unfolded over time, that a lot of we, 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 we thank the Lord that just by the giving of the laws and commandments, he gives us a, a, a structure for, for, for our judicial system for, of the United States and our legal system. And God was concerned that someone along the way might unintentionally, without malice, wind up fatally injuring someone. And he talks about here in verse 3 about someone that killeth another person. In other words, an unintentional act. We would define it in our legal system as manslaughter. Manslaughter and murder are not the same. Murder is when it when, and out of our heart, out of hatred and hostility and with malice that we, we plan and plot to kill somebody. And that's murder. And that's uh, that's uh, uh, under the Bible. That's a, that's a capital punishment crime. And God had established that a murder would be put to death. And they had that in their system there as far as the Jews were concerned. If someone was found guilty of murder, that person would be taken out and stoned to death. That's how they would have dealt with in those days. But God wanted to make sure that if someone who, was, who may have been guilty of manslaughter, they didn't intentionally mean to kill someone, but they did. Some accident happened. Maybe their animal, maybe their animal, their ox gored that person or something like that, and the person bled to death, or maybe uh, property, something happened on the property, and the person got injured. They wanted to make sure that God had some kind of a process and system to protect the person who did not mean to do that intentionally. And so he calls this person, a slave.
slayer and a person that if it was guilty of such a thing to prevent this person from having the relatives of the person killed avenge themselves or avenge that the loss of the loved one from coming at them. They call them the avengers of blood. That person who was guilty of manslaughter would have a place he could run to, a place that would be called a refuge, a city of refuge. And so God had designated six specific cities, all within proximity of all the where the different tribes were at. They were at most maybe a half day's journey at most in any one case, but they were accessible cities. They were available cities that he, that this person could run to and find as a place of refuge. God was concerned that lawlessness no one not prevail and people would be would we be uh, taking each other's life for the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And so these cities were established so someone of an unintentional act could flee there in this situation and find refuge there. But notice something else. We don't only see the cause, but you notice the conditions. In verses 4 through 6, God gives some conditions about those cities. Now, just bear with me as we go through this. I'm trying to give you a background understanding there. This person who is guilty of manslaughter, of course, they're feeling very bad in their heart, but they're also realizing that the blood relatives of the individual that they that uh, was uh, that, that died of the fatality would come after and they would want to avenge the blood of the loss of that loved one. And so this person, this person who uh, committed this manslaughter would run to one of these cities of refuge. And for the sake of discussion, sake of illustration, let's just assume it's a city of Hebron. This person, if he lived by proximity, the nearest city of refuge is Hebron. He would run to the city of Hebron. As he did so, as we read verses 4 through 6, he would arrive at the gate of the city where the elders of the city would be. As he would arrive at the gate of the city, he would cry out and say, Listen, I'm guilty of such and such a thing. I, I didn't mean to do this. This was not intentional. There was no malice in my heart. And I'm feeling really bad that this situation happened. And he declares that to, to the elders of the city. The elders of the cities, we read verses 4 through 6, would accommodate this person and bring him by grace into their city. Once he entered one of those cities of refuge, this person had safety and protection. The avenger of blood could not go into that city to go after him. He was protected. If that person came to the gate, they would cry out to the elders and say, Listen, that man, there's a man that fled to your city. You need to bring him out so I could do justice to him. And they would say something like this. Well, you can't do that because our congregation needs to evaluate the situation. As soon as that man would come into the city of refuge, he'd go there. And after a period of time, the congregation, or if you would, or the city, would evaluate all the evidence and the situation at hand. And as they evaluated, they would determine from that, this, did this man do it out of malice? Was it with intent or was it unintentional? Once they determined it was unintentional, they would tell the man something like this, Sir, we understand what's happened here and we feel, we feel for your situation. We also feel for the person, the family who lost his loved one. But you're safe and you're protected in the city. And as long as you stay in this city, you are protected. And there, were, there was a condition. As long as the congregation found this man was, was guilty of manslaughter, not murder, he was good. But there was a second thing. He was also good in the sense that as long as the high priest was alive, that man was to remain in that city. The avenger of blood could never take vengeance on him. He could never go inside the city, attack him. He was safe within the shelter of that city of refuge. However, if that man, that slayer, that manslaughter, if he uh, guilty of manslaughter, if he should ever wander out of that city, let's say the city of Hebron, for example, if he should wander out of the city and the avenger of blood met him, the avenger of blood, he was no longer in the protection of that city of refuge. That man was exposed and vulnerable to hurt in that situation there. And so it was to his best benefit, if he was guilty of manslaughter, he was guilty of this, these, these incidents as we describe here, it was to his benefit to stay inside that city of refuge for his safety, for his protection, and for his refuge. God knew by establishing this that this would, pro- pro- would provide order there. Notice something else here. Notice verses 5 and 6. 
And if the avenger of blood pursue after him, then they shall not deliver the slayer up into his hand, because he smote his neighbor unwittingly and hated him not before time. And he shall dwell in that city until he stand before the congregation for judgment, until the death of the high priest that shall be in those days. Then shall the slayer return and come to his own city and unto his own house and to the city from whence he fled. Well, number one, man was guilty of manslaughter. He killed somebody unintentionally. He had a city he could go to for his safety. Number two, as he entered into that city, he would cry out to the elders of the city his situation, would declare his cause, and they would evaluate it. And once they evaluated and determined that he did not do this intentionally, they would allow this man to stay in that city. Once he was in that city, he would stay in that city and be safe that entire time because the congregation had already declared that what he did was unintentional. And as long as the high priest was alive, that man was to stay in the city. Now, notice what we just read in verse 6, though. Eventually, the high priest would die. The high priest is those days, beginning with, the, with the, the lineage of Aaron, the high priest was a mortal man who had, who had a lifespan just like you and me. When the high priest would die, eventually that point that the high priest would die, that man who was guilty of being a slayer or a manslaughter now had the opportunity he could leave that city refuge and go back to his city that he was of origin or back to his city of inheritance. He could go back to that city and was saved. The avengers of blood could not touch him. And so God had a order in his structure. He had an order in the system for these tribes of Israel so they would be well protected. We see the intent, but notice the second thing this morning. This is where we get to our message today. But you notice the insulation. These cities of refuge were a safety net. They were an insulation. As long as the high priest was alive, this person was insulated. And when the high priest died, he could leave that city of refuge and venture out. This man had a hiding place. He had a place where he could go in the event of an accidental fatality. Notice in this insulation, we see the provision in this insulation. There was a provision God gave to everyone. Notice in verses 1 and 2, the wonderfulness of provision. It says, The Lord also spake unto Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint out for you cities of refuge, whereof I spake unto you by the hand of Moses. I want to remind you this morning, the provision was a provision of God. It was not a provision of man. It was not a provision of the legal judicial system. It was not a provision of Moses. It was not a provision of Joshua. Praise the Lord. This was a provision of God. God looked at every person there and realized there were situations that needed some thought process. And God's ways are not our ways. And His thoughts are not our thoughts. And so God wanted to extend mercy. I remind you this morning as we sit here, we must consider the entire attributes of God on one spectrum. We know that God is full of grace and truth. Truth demands justice. Truth is what God is. There is no falsity. There is no lie. There is no deceitfulness. God, aren't you glad about that this morning? Amen. But with truth, there must be justice. Right needs to be made right. Wrong needs to be dealt with. God is a God of justice. God is also a God of mercy. As we look at God as being God of mercy, we see mercy being applied. These cities of refuge were an extension of God's mercy to the person guilty of manslaughter. Well, these cities of refuge, a person guilty of manslaughter, the blood relatives of the one hurt and killed would come after him. These cities were provided by God. There were six cities designated by God. These cities were provided by grace. Once they entered that city, listen, it was the, these were Levitical cities. 
These were cities that the Levites had jurisdiction. Listen, nobody in all of Israel had a better handle in terms of being impartial and extending mercy and having the mind of God and doing the, doing the proper thing than those Levites that were appointed because they were serving God for their entire lifetime. By the way, let me just say this morning, it's a wonderful thing to serve God with your life. And as they came to these Levitical cities, these six cities that were set aside, it was there that that person came. They found the grace of God extended. Let me remind you this morning, grace is love we don't deserve. Grace is God reaching out to you and me. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Hey, these cities were provided by the grace of God. God looked down upon the fact that we are mortal. And God looked down to the fact that we are sinful. And God looked down to the fact that we make accidents. And sometimes we can beat ourselves up to death and think I'll never make it. But thank God this morning we have a God who who's graceful towards us. Well, we see the provision in this installation, but you notice the picture in this installation. But you notice in verses 7 to 9, as we read that to the casual reader, verses 7 to 9 sound very, very confusing to us. In fact, to the casual reader, if you read verses 7 to 9, you scratch your head and you ask the question, why do I even need to read about this? Why do I even need to be concerned? I can't even pronounce the word Kadesh, Amen. And what does Ramoth have to do with this? And why is it called Bezer, not Geezer, amen, you know? But each of these cities had a, a, a spiritual significance and they had a, they had a wonderful significance in terms of where they were located. Notice if you would, if you would imagine with me the, the, the Jordan River right here in the middle. And where the Jordan River is at on my left hand side, going westward towards the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea, you'd have three of these cities that are mentioned here in verses seven and eight. You have the city of Kadesh, which is part of Naphtali. You have the city of Shechem. You have the city of Hebron, which was also known, known by another name. Kurdeth Jarba. Over on the eastern side, on my right side, on the eastern side going east, you'd have three cities. Bezer, Ramoth, Golan. Anybody guilty of a of manslaughter, at most, was a half-day journey. It was conveniently positioned, located, so a person could have access. They could flee to that city for the safety of life. But I want you to understand this morning, there is a picture, there is a meaning about each of these cities. Because I remind you this morning, if you'll turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, as we go to the New Testament, it sheds some light for us in understanding the significance of these cities of refuge. And every one of these cities of refuge speak to us so eloquently and beautifully and wonderfully about the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter, Hebrews chapter 6, if you'll turn there. Do you notice some things that Hebrews tells us here? And you have to read the entire context of Hebrews 4 or 5 and getting into chapter 6 to appreciate and, and thank God and worship the Lord and His greatness for what He says here. But notice in verse 17, Hebrews 6, 17, where, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability, and immutability means the unchangeableness of His counsel, confirmed it by an oath. You want to circle the word oath. The word oath refers to the covenant of God. Covenants were not to be broken. Covenants were divine affirmation that what I say, I will do. Aren't you glad that God, what He says, He does? Amen. 
And he says something in verse 18, I pray that in verse 18 and verse 19 that will endear to our hearts and we'll, we'll get a grip around this. Because notice what he says, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. By the way, that's why you can trust God's word. It's impossible for God to lie. He says that we might have a strong consolation. And I want to understand that the believers he's writing to in the book of Hebrews, they were up in arms. They were upside down. They weren't really sure what to believe. They were uncertain about their security in Jesus Christ. They weren't sure if Jesus Christ was all they needed to get to heaven. By the way, I want to tell you this morning, Jesus Christ is all you need to get to heaven. And they needed consolation, realizing you didn't need to add the works of Judaism to salvation. Listen, salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. But they were being told you had to add something else to Jesus Christ to make it better. And so he gives them a strong consolation. He says this, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entered into that within that veil. Whether the forerunners for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of consolation. Now, we have a promise here in verse 18. And the promise is this, that Jesus Christ is the forerunner of God who's entered into the veil, not offering the blood of an animal, but offering his own blood as a sacrifice for you and I. We have this consolation and promise that Jesus Christ is a strong consolation for you and I. We have this consolation that Jesus is the one we flee to for refuge from the judgment of God. We flee to Jesus Christ to find our hiding place, our refuge from the judgment of God. And there in Jesus Christ, it's not judgment we receive. Praise God, it's mercy that we receive. Notice these words that the Apostle Paul uses, verse 18, 19. Twice he talked about the flag, as we fled for refuge, lay hold upon the hope set before. Listen, this morning, you might be in church and you've got insecurities in your life and you've got, you're not grounded well in the Word of God and you've got all this unsettledness in your heart about certain things. I want to tell you this morning, the hope that you're living on, you came today hoping for something in Jesus Christ. The hope we have in Him is that we know it's a guarantee of something that will happen in the future. Now, will it happen? Can it happen? It's, it will happen. It will happen. And he's our hope of glory. And he says here that we may have, we can flee to Christ as our refuge lay hold upon the hope set before us. And notice he describes this hope we have in Jesus Christ. He's an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters into that veil. And I'm saying this morning, as we look at these cities of refuge, they picture so wonderfully and they show to us so wonderfully the fact that Jesus Christ is the city of refuge for every sinner. Now notice these cities, if you would, because each of these cities, by choice of God, has a significant meaning. And I'm not trying to spiritualize the verses, but there is some spiritual meaning that as these cities were designated, they were giving us a, if you would, a foreshadowing and helping us to understand the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and His ministry and His attributes and His application and His Lordship and His goodness as Savior and God in your life and mine. And I want to tell you this morning, I don't care what you've read that says God is less than this and God is less than that. I want to tell you God is greater and He's greater than all. Notice first we see the, the, the city Kadesh in verse 7. And they pointed Kadesh and Galilee, Mount Naphtali. Kadesh, you want to write this down. The word Kadesh means holy. Our starting point this morning as we consider God and Jesus being our refuge is that He's holy. 
His attribute that defines God is holiness. All the other attributes of God are an emanation of holiness. Listen, if we don't understand the holiness of God and get our arms around that, we can't understand the holiness of His love and the holiness of His grace and the holiness of His mercy and the holiness of His justice and the holiness of His peace and the holiness of His comfort. The word Kadesh means holy. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, the seraphim surrounding the throne of God sing of him saying, and the Bible says, as in one crying unto another, and they said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Hey, aren't you glad this morning we don't have a defiled God, and we don't have an imperfect God, and we don't have a mortal God, and we don't have a sinful God. Aren't you glad this morning with a capital G, we have a God who is eternal and holy and mighty for all of us today. Nexus 12, verse 5, Jesus is pictured as the lamb without blemish. In Jeremiah 23, 6, Jesus is called Jehovah Sidkenu. Sidkenu means righteous. Jesus is our righteousness. Please understand this morning, you have no righteousness and I have no righteousness apart from myself. Righteousness is being just like God. And I hate to tell you this, but we're not just like God. Amen. For there's none righteous. No, not one. But Jesus is righteous. In Acts 4.27, he was called the Holy Child. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the Bible says, For he has made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin. What does that mean, Pastor Paul? That means this, Jesus took on sinful flesh to die for your sins and mine, but he never sinned. By the way, let's underline that. Yet, without sin. Say that with me this morning. Yet, without sin. Can you say that with me? Yet, without sin. Jesus Christ is sinless. He's sinless. He's without sin. Listen, you, you point out any other deity that men worship, there's some sin in that deity. There's no sin in my Savior, Jesus Christ. Second, if you notice, Hebrews 4.15, the Bible says He was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. In Hebrews 7.26, He is holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. In 1 Peter 2.22, the Bible says this, Peter said, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. In fact, we were just listening to the Gospel of John this morning on the way in, and I remember the words of Nathaniel. He said, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. He's altogether lovely because he's altogether sinless. Without a holy and sinless Savior, our redemption for sin could not be accomplished. He's what Peter called in 1 Peter 3.18. Christ has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God. Hey, listen, there is no merit. There's nothing in you, in me, in religion, in a church, an institution. There's no merit. There's enough goodness in all of us that can get us to God. Only our Savior, Jesus Christ, who's sinless, can get us into the right relationship with God. We see the city of Kadesh. He is holy. Notice the city of Shechem. And they pointed Kadesh and Galilee, Mount Naphtali, and Shechem and Mount Ephraim was part of the tribe of Ephraim there. We read about Shechem all the way back in Genesis. The word Shechem means shoulder. We think about our shoulders, we think about bearing a weight, sustaining a burden. I'm thankful this morning Jesus Christ has shoulders that can bury all of our burdens. Amen. Amen. In Isaiah 53, 4, listen to this. Surely he has borne our griefs. Listen, this is good. And he's carried all of our sorrows. 
Listen, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, there's a future context, but it says the government shall be upon his shoulder. Listen, last last position I would ever want, and I think you'd say the same, I don't think you'd want to be the leader of a nation or of a government. If you think about the weight that you're carrying and the burdens you're carrying, and you think about the decisions you're making, and I don't know how some of these guys can even sleep at night with some of the things they have to think about, but I'm thankful our Savior Jesus Christ, the Bible says there in that millennium, the government shall be upon his shoulders. Matthew eleven twenty eight verses verse twenty eight to thirty. Jesus is speaking to people who are heavy laden, and he said this to them: Come unto me, all ye that are burdened and heavy laden. And he says, I will give you rest. In other words, he says, take take the yoke, the the yoke that harnesses two animals together, that heavy yoke. He says, let's exchange places. You take my yoke, which is light and easy, and I, and I'll take your yoke. God calls upon us, according to First Peter five seven, to cast all our care upon Him, for He careth for us. Hey, listen, why are you bearing on your shoulders the weight of the world, the weight? of your burdens, the weight of your sorrows, as you carry those weights, they cause you to go down further and further. We're being crushed under the weight of those burdens. We feel those weights pulling us down to even the place where we get on our knees and we're crawling our way down. We're crushed under those burdens. But thank God, when we, off, when we offload that weight to Jesus, when we cast our burdens upon Him, the Bible says He shall sustain thee. Why are we carrying burdens that Jesus has come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest? Imagine every sinner that came to that city of refuge. The very name Shechem's shoulder. Think, oh, I can go there and he's going to carry my griefs and he's going to carry my sorrows and he's going to bear my burden just to know there. I mean, if you were a person that was guilty of manslaughter, weighing deep on your conscience, the fact that you took another person's life unintentionally and there's nothing you can do to repay them. And to think about the fact you're feeling grief for the situation of the family that lost a loved one and you're thinking about your own situation, you're fearful that an avenger blood could come unto you. Can you imagine that sinner running over there to the city of Shechem and he stands there at the gate, and the gate he cries out his circumstances, situation, and the elders of the city and the Levites say, come into the city, you can come in. And feeling like that burden on his shoulder has been offloaded from him onto the city itself. Hey, listen today, whatever your burden may be, whatever the sin you may be carrying, whatever pride is holding you down, whatever it may be, you can offload it to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and know this morning, he, is carrying, he carries your griefs and your sorrows all the way to Calvary. The Bible says in Luke 15, would you notice this? Verse 4. What man are you having a hundred sheep if you lose one of them? Doth not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness to go after that which is lost until he find it. Listen, and when he hath found him, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. We see Kadesh. We see Shechem. Would you notice the city of Hebron? Christ is holy. Christ carries our burdens and sorrows. But you notice the city of Hebron. And Kirjath Jarba. Now that was the city that Caleb and his nephew conquered. It's called Hebron. Why don't you circle Hebron? We're going to come back to the end. In the mountain of Judah. Hebrew means fellowship, friendship. 
Can you imagine a person guilty of manslaughter? The thoughts on his minds and the burdens he's carrying and the grief that he has in his heart as he comes to the city of Hebron. He's thinking, nobody accepts me. Nobody will want to be my friend. People are against me. But all this and the elders of the city and the Levites accept this man. And by the very name Hebron, it means this, that there's friendship here and there's fellowship here. Hey, listen, this morning, I don't know what your sin might be and I don't know what your situation may be, but I can tell you this morning, this one thing, there is a man that sticketh closer than a brother and that man is Jesus Christ today. Greater love is no man than this, that a man should lay down his life for his friends. Listen, Jesus is the friend of all sinners. He's the friend who's closer than a brother. He's the mediator between God and man. Listen, we're trying to find some way to bridge the gap between us and God. We're going to the confession box, and we're going over this institution here, and we're going over this thing over here, and we're trying to find, we're even looking for a pastor, someone that can be an intermediary for us. But I hate to tell you this morning, Pastor Fall cannot be your intermediary, and some confession box cannot be your intermediary, and some institution cannot be your intermediary. None of those things can help because the Bible already tells us there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Listen, you need a perfect mediator. You need a perfect advocate. You need a perfect legal representative who's got it all figured out, who can solve the problem. And I'm here to tell you this morning, Jesus Christ, our Savior, can get all that done for you and me today. Because I'm going to fail you. And somebody else is human is going to fail you. Jesus never fails. Ephesians 2.13 puts it this way. We are made nigh by the blood of Christ. There's fellowship there. 1 John 1.3 says, Truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Hey, you know what God wants more than anything else? By the time you leave the doors this morning, God wants you to have fellowship with Him. The First Baptist Church in Milford, I didn't know anybody there except the missions director who I've been corresponding with for the last oh, almost 10 months here, corresponding with him. And I just had a kind of idea who he was. And one of the one of the uh, the core representatives for Bearing Precious Seed, which is one of their ministries, happened to sit in one of our services almost a year ago this time. Brother Al Braley, and when he came and picked me up in the car, got me and Brother Ted Mung. I remember who he was. We had a sweet time of fellowship. Listen, when I left, by the time I left on Thursday morning, very first thing Thursday morning at 4.30 in the morning, I was thankful for the friendships I made, the fellowship there. That was wonderful. And just another part of the world, making some great Christians I met. But I was looking forward to coming back to Heritage Baptist Church because I love the fellowship that's here at Heritage Baptist Church. Please understand this morning, when you get saved... When you get Jesus in your heart and He washes away your sin, you and I enter into a blessed relationship that's called sonship. That to as many as received and to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even then that believe on His name. Listen, you have no sonship. You're not part of the family of God until you repented of your sins and say, Jesus, I take you and you alone. I believe only in your name that can get me to heaven. I don't believe in the name of some church and I don't believe in the name of some pastor. I don't believe in the name of some clergy. I realize that there, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. Listen, you're not going to get saved through Alan Fong. You're not going to get saved through Donald Trump. And you're not going to get saved through Hillary Clinton, and you're not going to get saved through some Pope, and you're not going to get saved through Billy Graham. Listen, the only one who can save you from your sins is Jesus Christ this morning. Thank God for good people. Thank God for people who've got influence. Thank God for people. But listen, their names cannot help us because there's no salvation any other except through Jesus Christ. Can you imagine they come to the city of Hebron and it said, fellowship. Welcome in. Welcome to my city. You'll find friendship and fellowship here. And you might be ostracized by others and others may kick you out and others may not want you. But I want to tell you this morning, Jesus Christ is the friend of all sinners and he invites you to come to him. And he says, come here because there's fellowship where I'm at, friend. 
Well, we see Kadesh, holiness. We see Shechem, shoulder. We see Hebron, which is friendship and fellowship. But you notice the city of Bezer. Now we're on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Here's the Jordan River right here in the middle. On the western side, Kadesh, Shechem, Hebron. Now we're going eastward right across. Here's Bezer right there, right across from where Shechem's at. Write this down. Bezer means stronghold or rock. Now, we think about strongholds, we think in terms of satanic strongholds, because we use that a lot in that reference. A stronghold is something that has a grip on you that you have a difficult time of breaking. It's like a headlock that you can't get out of. A full Nelson that you can't slip out of. It's a, it's a wrestling move, if you would. It's a configuration of some kind where you, it's, it's stronger than you. It holds you. A stronghold's happening. Listen, depression can be a stronghold. We're so overwhelmed by the problem. We're discouraged by the problem. Listen, I can tell you, temptations that maybe we all fight with, temptations can be a stronghold. Many strongholds have their grip on us. We think in that term. But I want you to understand something. We can get so obsessed with satanic strongholds, we forget about one thing. Nahum 1.7 says this, The Lord is good. By the way, He is good. The Lord is good. Listen, a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knoweth the way, them that trust him. Hey, I want to remind you this morning, as they looked and went to the city of Gezer, they saw two things. They saw a place that was strong. They saw a place that was not impregnable. They saw a place that was a, was a fortress. They saw a place that the enemy could not penetrate. Oh, somebody that went to Gezer was so glad the moment that the elders accepted them into that stronghold, they realized they could turn around and they would see this Avenger blood right hot on their trail. But the Avenger blood could do nothing because that person was safe in the stronghold of Gezer. And I tell you this morning, when you get saved, you are forever saved. And when you get saved, you are in the strong arms of Jesus Christ. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And I remind you today that these things have been written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and this life is in His Son. I remind you this morning, the stronghold of eternal security, Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. I remind you this morning, you are safe and you are secure. We can go to Jesus, who is a stronghold, and we can go to as our place of refuge, who is an anchor for the soul, sure and steadfast. I remind you today, Bezer represents the stronghold we have in Jesus Christ. In Psalms chapter 40, verse 2, he is called the rock upon which our feet have been set upon. In Psalms 18, 2, David said this after a long time of flight and fighting with Saul, King Saul. He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. All in one word, um, three words, three different words describe God as his refuge. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. What assurance we have during the storms of life and the uncertainties of life as we're pummeled with storms and rains and cyclones and hurricanes of an immense proportion. Aren't you glad this morning, in spite of those fierce winds in spite of the rain that comes down, in spite of the hail that comes, in spite of the difficulties that come in there. Aren't you glad this morning you can run into safety there, that place called Bezer, and find on Jesus Christ, you have a solid rock upon which you'll never fall. Moses said in Deuteronomy 32.4, He is the rock, His work is perfect, for all His ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is He. 
And then we go to city number five, and we see the city of Ramoth. The other side, Jordan, by Jericho east, where they signed bees in the wilderness upon the plain, out of the tribe of Reuben. And Ramoth and Gilead, out of the tribe of Gad. Write this down. Ramoth means exalted. Oh, these cities picture for such wonderfully the Lord Jesus Christ, His holiness, His fellowship. He carries our burdens. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. He's the rock upon which we stand. But we see that in all of this, we must not take advantage of the Lord and see God is our God is our servant. Listen, no, we are His servants. He's not our servant. He is our God. God is to be exalted and God is to be lifted up. We need to pause in all of this because I can tell you, as you look at the sinner who is running from the hands of the avengers of blood, he would go and find this place called Kadesh where he'd see holiness to God and thank God that though he was unrighteous, the, uh, that though he was unrighteous, the righteous by faith brings him to fellowship with God. And he'd go in there and he'd find out that God, Jesus Christ, bears our griefs and carries our sorrows. And he'd go there and he'd find there's a place of friendship and fellowship with the Lord. And he'd go there and realize that the Lord is a strong in the day of trouble. And now he comes over to the city there of Ramoth and he finds her that God is exalted. We have to stop every now and then remind ourselves, let's stop worrying about our problems, stop worrying about everything wrong with us and start thinking about everything that's right with God. Amen. Amen. Psalms 18.46 The Lord liveth and blessed be my rock and let the God of my salvation be exalted. Man, if you don't do anything else this morning, you'll just say, God, praise your holy name today, man. Exalt God for who He is. Exalt Him as the God who is your Savior. And exalt Him as the God of the local New Testament church. And exalt Him that He's perfect and forever and infinite and He's everlasting. And exalt Him that He's a God of love. And exalt Him that He's a God who cares about where you're at. And He's a God of mercy. Exalt Him today. He's a God who loves you in your circumstance. Isaiah 25, 1. Isaiah said this, O Lord, Thou art my God. By the way, I pray that's your prayer this morning. I will exalt Thee. Now I'm confident by the time we end this service and we walk out those doors and you each shake hands with each other and, and bid each other Godspeed and say, have a great day and see you tonight. I want to tell you one thing. We exalted the Lord together. But may I say before you even leave this church, may you say it like the Isaiah did, I will exalt thee, O Lord. It's never greater than when it's an individual exaltation of our Lord. He said, O Lord, thou art my God, I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name, for thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsel of old are faithless and truth. Acts 5.31. Listen what Peter said as he talked to those leaders who tried to ostracize him from society. He says, Him has God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. It doesn't matter what the textbooks of this world say. And it doesn't matter how people de- 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 bring down the name of Jesus Christ and impugn his name. All I'm going to tell you this it doesn't matter what they say him has God highly exalted be a prince and a savior before God and man Philippians 2 9 wherefore God is all so highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name hey we better realize this morning there's only one name we better bow to and that's the name of Jesus Christ oh his name is Ramoth Ramoth and Gilead and that was important because the men of Gilead which were descendants of Manasseh They were courageous men. Gilead produced some great men of God. Elijah came from Gilead. Read about two of the judges that came from Gilead. 
It would be very easy for those men who were trained in martial arts and had courage and they were special forces men. It would be very easy for them to think they could handle it all without God. But isn't it very interesting? It's called Ramoth Gilead. It's a place exalted. It's a place to remind us we have no strength except for His strength. We have no power except for God's power. We have no ability apart from God's ability. Listen, there comes a time and place where God has to meet with you and me individually to bring us to that realization. Without God, we are nothing. But then we come to city number six. And it says in Golan, in Bashan, out of the tribe of Manasseh. Write this down. Golan means joy. Listen, there is great joy for every manslayer to walk into one of those cities and realize that sorrow would be turned into joy. His sadness would be turned into happiness. That the joy of the Lord would be his strength. That joy would restore him. That joy cometh in the morning. Hey, maybe this morning you're somebody. The devil has taken your joy. And the devil has shrunken your joy and diminished your joy. It's not a joy to serve Jesus. It's not a joy to worship the Lord. It's not a joy to see the hymns of praise. It's not a joy to shape people's hands. But I'm here to tell you this morning, you can go to that city of refuge called Golan and in that very name your joy can be restored and joy could be in the morning and the joy of the Lord is your strength these things have I spoken to you that you might my joy might be in you and that my joy might remain in you Jesus said Luke 2.10 the angel said unto them fear not behold I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people Paul said this in Philippians chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord. And again I say rejoice. In Acts chapter 8 verse 8, when Philip the evangelist went to the city of Samaria and he started preaching the gospel there, the Bible says something very wonderful. The name of Jesus Christ was being declared there. And these people realized that they found the true God. They realized that they, uh, believing in God alone was not enough. Because the Bible says you believe in God, believe also in me. In Acts chapter 8 verse 8 it says this, There was great joy in this city because of the name of Jesus. Hey, there's something good to be said for a church like ours trying to reach our area for Jesus Christ, then we can saturate the area with the gospel and win people to Christ and saturate our neighborhoods and saturate our, 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 our acquaintances with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says there was great joy in the city. Hey, there's great joy in heaven when one sinner repenteth, even though 99 have already repented. Join the Lord. First Peter 1.8, Peter is writing to believers who are going through trials and difficulties. Fiery trials, he called them in First Peter 1 7. And he speaks about Jesus, getting your eyes on Jesus. And he said in First Peter 1 8, Whom having not seen, you love. And though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And I'm saying this morning, I don't know where your joy content is, and I don't know how full your joy is, but when I read about great joy and joy unspeakable, I think I want to get in line where the joy can be found. And I want to get in line to the place where the joy comes down. And I want my cup overflowing with the joy of the Lord. And it doesn't matter what people say. Listen, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them so we see the picture we see the provision but you notice something else would you go back a little bit further verses one and two would you notice the position of these cities excuse me verse nine These were the cities appointed, would you notice these next two words, for all. For all. Hey, there's no such thing as limited grace or limited atonement. Salvation's for all, amen? Jesus Christ is days to death for every man. God so loved the world, not a limited version of all the world. 
And he's the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but for the sins of all the world. And notice in verse 9, God made a provision here that was available to all. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel and for the stranger, the sojourner among them. What a wonderful thought in verse 9. It was available to all. And I'm saying this morning, if you're not 100% sure you're saved and going to heaven, salvation is available to you. It doesn't matter what your sins were in the past. It doesn't matter how many times you've messed up. It doesn't matter what you did. Salvation Salvation is available to all who come to him this morning. Oh, I'm thankful this morning the position where these cities were positioned was available to all. But notice these cities were accessible to all. He says these were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel and for all the strangers, the sojourners among them, that whosoever killeth any person at unawares might flee thither and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. You know what he's saying there? God did not make salvation difficult. God did not make salvation inaccessible. God did not make, Jesus did not come to be a savior only for the educated. And Jesus didn't come to be the savior only for the religious. And Jesus didn't come to be the savior for only those who are poverty stricken. Listen, Jesus came for everybody in this room, amen? It was made for all. Can you imagine every person was guilty of being a manslayer. He knew from teaching, training, there's a city of refuge you can run to. Can you imagine, here we have these six cities. We've got Kadesh, and we've got Shechem, and we've got Hebron, and we've got Bezer, and we've got Ramoth, and we've got, we've got uh, Golan here. And listen, wherever the person was, they knew geographically how to get to that city, and it was close enough they could get to that city for safety there. And listen, those cities could be seen. They were positioned in such a way those cities could be seen. Listen, all their buildings were made out of limestone. And at certain times of the day, when the sun would shine on those buildings, there would be a glimmer off those buildings that they could see the light off those buildings. Hey, listen, this morning, I'm encouraged to see the light that is in God. God is light in Him is no darkness at all. And as they glimmered of that city, they'd make their way. And as they got close, there would be signage along the way. And the Hebrew signage would have the Hebrew word miklat on it. M-I-K-L-A-T. They would see the word miklat. Miklat means refuge. They would knew right away, I'm right at the, I'm in the right place. I'm going to the right city. I'm going to the right place. I can find my refuge here. Hey, let me tell you this morning, as we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and invite you to come to Jesus, by coming to Jesus, you've come to the right person. You've come to the right place. I tell you, those roads were never closed and those roads were never clogged up. Those roads were never busy. They weren't like our Bay Area traffic where you can go out on any particular weekday and you might get stuck in gridlock. I don't know about you. I don't like gridlock, but I'm thankful the road to Jesus Christ. There's never any gridlock to get to Jesus. By the way, the gates were never closed. Gates were always open. 24-7. All you had to do was run there. All you had to do was flee there. Hey, I'm encouraged this morning. Don't walk to Jesus. Run to Jesus and get saved this morning. Amen. We see the intent. We see the installations. We close this morning. One last thing we're done. Would you notice the invitation? Go back to Hebrews chapter 6 with me, please. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 6, notice verses 18, 19 to 20, please. 
that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Let's break that down. Number one, there was a, there's a place of refuge we can, fl- we can flee to, and that's Jesus Christ, and we can lay hold upon it. He's talking about by faith laying hold upon the city of refuge. Hey, listen, every man there that ran there, he had to run there by faith. He had to trust God by faith that what God promised in his word was true, and would go there, and there would be hope in his heart, and he laid hold upon it. And the moment he walked past that threshold and came past that gate and was accepted to the city. He was safe there. And the Bible describes this hope. Look at what you notice, verse 19. He describes this hope this morning as a hope that is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that veil. Whether the forerunner for us has entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Hey, watch this. But watch this. The manslayer would go to that city of refuge and he would remain there until the death of the high priest. And then the death of the high priest allowed him. He could exit that city and go back to the city where it, that city of inheritance and the manslayer could never help him. Listen this morning. The Old Testament high priest was a human man. And the Old Testament high priest every year had to go in on the day of the Passover. He had to go in to offer sacrifice for the sins of the people and his own sins. And he had to do that over and over again. And the Listen, the high priest could not offer sacrifice that could atone for his sins perpetually. It had to be repeated over and over again. And then when the high priest died, it set that man free. I want you to understand something this morning. Would you listen to me? Jesus Christ is our great high priest. Our great high priest died for your sins and mine once and for all. And when he died for our sins once and for all, he created this eternal refuge, this strong consolation, which is an anchor for the soul. Our great high priest died for your sins and mine. He didn't offer a blood sacrifice of an animal. He gave his own blood. We are redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, which is more precious than gold and silver, which is corruptible. I remind this morning the blood that Jesus shed on the cross for you and I was personal blood. He gave his own blood. It's precious blood. It was blood that continues on. It's the only blood that can wash away our sins. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I'm going to tell you this morning, the waters of baptism cannot wash away your sins. The waters of the Pacific Ocean cannot wash away your sins. The waters of the Atlantic Ocean cannot wash away your sins. Going through the River Jordan where John baptized cannot wash away your sins. There's only one place that can wash away your sins. That's the blood of Jesus Christ this morning. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. I remind you this morning there is no place where you can get perpetual cleansing, perpetual washing. The Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 7 that the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son cleanses us from all sin. He's our high priest. Like the Old Testament high priest. We keep offering a sin. Offering through a lamb. Jesus was the Lamb without blemish. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So notice this this morning. As our high priest, Jesus is sinless. He has no sin. The requirement for satisfying God's demands for sin was His sacrifice without blemish. You understand what I'm saying? I can't die for your sins. You can't die for your own. Well, you have to die for your sins if you don't trust Jesus. Only one substitute satisfies God's demands for sins. That's Jesus Christ. The just dying for the unjust. He might bring us to God. 
It's not a cute, simple prayer that saves you. It's not walking to the roof of the Heritage Center that's going to save you. It's not driving to the parking lot of 2960 Merced Street is going to save you. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. You come under that blessed God. I'm a sinner who needs to be saved. And I trust only in your shed blood to die, that, that was shed for me and your death on the cross. That that saves you from my sin. Listen, when you call upon the Lord as a needy sinner, that moment of time, he saves you from all your sins. So what do we have to say about that this morning? Well, notice two things. Number one, for everyone that's called on the Lord to save him, you're saved already. And the majority of people here this morning are saved. May I offer you the promise of Psalms 46.1. But he's just not our, because Jesus is not just your refuge for salvation. He is your refuge through salvation. In other words, I mean this. You can find Jesus to be your shelter in the time of storm. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Read through 1 Samuel and read the accompanying Psalms like Psalms 18 and Psalms 34. And we realize that David learned something that he taught us, that in our times of troubles, we're looking for a hiding place. The only hiding place that's satisfactory that can help us through our times of trial is Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's our tri- refuge for our troubles. He's our refuge when Satan assails you. Every one of you saved this morning. Don't go run to the psychologist. Don't go run over here. Don't go run over there. Run to Jesus. Go to Jesus. He's our refuge and strength. A very present help in time of trouble. Amen? Not, not tomorrow's help. Today's help. Today's help. Right now. You know, Pastor, you don't understand. I, I'm going to get laid off my job. He's a very present help in time of trouble. You don't understand, Pastor. My heart is burned. I've been broken. I've been rejected. I understand all that. But he's borne our griefs and he carries our sorrows. He's a very present help in time of trouble. And last, if you're not saved, he's your city of refuge that affords you deliverance from hell and a sanctuary for your eternal hope. The story told in first, second Samuel chapter three. Look it up later on. David had a captain or general by the name of Joab. There was a revolt. The household of Saul, as David was established his kingdom, the household of Saul had designated a general by the name of Abner. Dabner was the general for, 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 for Saul. When the last son of Saul realized that it wasn't his throne. It belonged to David. Abner came to David. He got things right. And he got, came to David. And he brought a lot of men with him. But Joab never got out of his mind that, that, that this man had killed his younger brother Asahel. Abner had thrust him with the spear and went backwards like this and thrust him with the spear and killed him. Went through his fifth rib, that is, it went under his, his abdomen and went right through him and killed him. And Joab never got out of his mind. And Joab and his other brother Abishai put in their minds they would be avengers of blood. You read this passage in 2 Samuel 3. It's very interesting. Joab sent a message to Abner to meet him at the city of Hebron. If you look at 2 Samuel 3.27, there's something very interesting there. Abner is at the gate of Hebron. Hebron is a city of refuge. He's there at the gate. He knows he's, he's been a manslayer. He knows that he needs mercy. He knows he needs deliverance. And the elders and the Levites are right there in the city of Hebron. But here comes Joab. And instead of going inside that city and seeking help and realizing that jet, that Joab was a, was a very uh, unpredictable man and a very treacherous man. Instead of that, he tried to confront Joab in his own terms. And the Bible says Joab went to him and kissed him on the cheeks. He did so. He took his knife and stabbed him in the fifth rib and killed him. He died right at the gate. 
gate where he could have found refuge and deliverance. I'm saying this morning, it could be you're right at the gate like Abner was. You're right at the gate and you can flee into that city of refuge and find protection and safety and salvation. Jesus Christ, why would you want to stand there outside the gate? Why would you want to stay there and be slain? And later on, David, as he mourned over him, he said this about Abner. He said, oh, Abner, diest thou as a fool, diest? All of us want to be known as people of wisdom. The greatest wisdom we can exercise is to humble our hearts, let go of our pride, and say, Lord, I need you today to save me from my sins. I'm coming to that city of refuge that's called holiness, that's called fellowship, that's called friendship, that's called Wait, carrying my burdens and joy and exaltation. I'm coming to those cities that each represents safety in the Lord. This morning, I invite you today, come to Jesus Christ, your city of refuge. He's a strong consolation, an anchor for the soul, sure and steadfast, a hope that is a permanent hope. God is speaking to your heart this morning. Please don't delay. Please don't wait. This morning, that city of refuge is waiting for you. Would you come to Jesus and get saved today? Christian friend, you're going through some burden, going through some heartache, going through some difficulty. You've got some fears. God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Father, this morning, thank you today for these cities of refuge. They just tell us one thing that's very simple. Jesus Christ, your son, is perfect. He's the Son of God. He's the Savior of all mankind. And He offers to us, as He does every day of every week, the free gift of eternal life. Father, I pray this morning for every person who's not 100% sure they're saved and going to heaven. They would accept the invitation to come to Christ as their city of refuge. They'd enter into that city and call upon the only one who can wash away their sins. And realizing that the death of the great high priest, our Savior, Jesus Christ, satisfies God's demands for sins. I wonder this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed, am I speaking to someone today? God's love has reached out to you. He's got a hold on your heart. And speaking about the fact that the only way to be saved from our sins, the only way to get to heaven is through that city of refuge, Jesus Christ. He's a strong consolation, an anchor of the soul that sure and steadfast. I wonder how many this morning today, God is speaking to your heart about making sure heaven's your home. Can I help you with that this morning? Right where you're seated. You can take Christ right now. You can invite him into your heart to save you from your sins. Here's how you can do it. You can pray a prayer just like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I am a sinner who needs to be saved. I believe your son, Jesus Christ, died for all my sins and rose again from the dead. I take Jesus now to be my Savior and my God. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for making me a son of God. In Jesus' name. You know, your heads bowed, eyes still closed. How many of you this morning could courageously raise your right hand. Say, Pastor Fong, today I received Jesus as my Savior. God spoke to me that I needed to come to that city of refuge. And that city of refuge is Christ. And just now I prayed and asked Jesus to be my Savior. How many would identify with that by raising their hand this morning? Say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer and asked Jesus to save me today. Anyone like that? 
So you're a man or woman, boy or girl, you'd say today, I prayed and asked Christ to be my Savior. But wait just a moment. Please don't don't delay. Thank the Lord this past Sunday night at our musical presentation. We have eight adults that trusted Christ as their Savior. Maybe today this is your day. This is your day to enter that city of refuge, which is Jesus Christ. Now wait just a moment. There's someone here today to say, Pastor, I call upon the Lord to save me today. I entered that city of refuge by calling on Christ by faith. You'd raise your hand and say, I prayed and asked Christ to save me. Anyone like that? How many Christians would say this morning, God spoke to me that I've been carrying my own burdens and I've been carrying my own weights and trying to solve my own problems. And, and I got such encouragement today that God is my refuge and my strength, a very present help in time of trouble. I've learned today that I could have freedom in Christ. I've run to Jesus. You'd say, pray for me that I'd always stay with Jesus as my refuge and strength. Pray for me. God bless you. Who else this morning? God bless you. Father, this morning, there's folks that need to be saved today. There are folks who need to go to Christ as their refuge. As we give the invitation, I invite them to come this morning. Oh, God, may the Spirit of God have His way. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Let's stand. Your heads bowed, eyes closed. Brother Vaughn's going to sing, I surrender all. Do you mean that as he sings that? Would you come today? You need to get saved. You want to come to that city refuge? Come and take one of our altar workers by the hand. They will help you to trust Christ today. They will help you believe on Him. Maybe you're here today and you've got some big burdens. You've got some big concerns. God is a refuge and strength. Maybe you're getting threatened and maybe you're getting bothered. God is a refuge and strength. He's your refuge. He's your strength. When we are running, we're weak. When we're not sure what to do, we're, we're, we're uncertain. But God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in time of trouble. Don't wait. Don't delay. Come to Him right now. Would you come this morning? We sing another stanza. Don't delay. If you need Christ, get saved this morning. We invite you today. Must humble our hearts before God. You say, Pastor, I'm not experiencing troubles now. No. The man born of woman, his days are full of trouble, Job says. Trouble is on the way. It's not if trouble will come, it's when trouble comes. Don't wait till you're in your deathbed. Don't wait until you're old and, and, and your, your health is not good. Trust Him now. Give the best years of your life now by calling on the Lord. Find Him as your refuge and strength. Come to Him today. Would you do that? Father, this morning, thank you for how the congregation so, with a spirit of meekness, received your word today. Thank you for, God, the richness of Joshua 20, the cities of refuge and what they mean for our lives. And I pray this morning that all of us have found their way there. Sinners have found their way to Christ as their Savior. Those who are saved have found their way to Christ as their refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Oh, Lord, may through this truth today help our prayer lives to change. May through this truth today we grow closer to the Lord. May through this truth today, Lord, we have sweeter fellowship with you. May through this truth today, Lord, we decide that we're going to get our, we're going to get our roots even deeper in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us today that you'll help us to settle through all of these things for your glory and praise. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.